guys like to hear your own voice? Okay, good. I'm not the only one here. All right, so we're about to start Advent here this morning. Uh, we, all, we all here at Grace Church have uh, very different backgrounds, different experiences with church and, and with things that we grew up with in our past. If you did not grow up with Advent, okay, here's what Advent means, first of all. The word just means coming. It means arrival, okay? And so what Advent is, it's a time where we celebrate his coming and we await his coming. And that sounds a little bit complicated, right? Here's why it's a little bit complicated to us. Because the first thing about Advent is we celebrate the fact that he's already come, right? Because Jesus came to the earth, he was born, he lived, he died, right? He has come here before. So we celebrate that. But there's something else that's, that's supposed to happen, right? He's supposed to come again, right? Come on, stay with me, some head bobbing helps. Okay, yeah, okay. Okay, so his advent, his first advent, his first coming, he's already come once, okay? His flight has arrived one time, all right? And then he left, he departed again. And his, his second flight is going to arrive later, right? So we are celebrating the fact that he has arrived once, and we are awaiting his second arrival. Is it still a super spooky word to you, advent? So what we're doing here is we are... We're taking time to focus on his first arrival, on his first coming, to sit there and to celebrate, to soak it in, to let it kind of soak into us. And that begins to stir excitement and expectation and hope for his next arrival. Does that make sense? The biggest obstacle that every Christian has is this is that you are surrounded by a world that is not about him. So everything about your week from uh, when you go home, when you turn on football, when you eat, whenever you wake up tomorrow morning, you had to work, everything about your week is going to be taking your mind and your eyes and your heart away from Jesus. It's going to be telling you to look at other things. And so the hardest thing for us as we come here on Sundays, and you know we're all about these scriptures and these songs and these ideas about the second arrival but there's nothing inside of us that's stirring us the rest of the week. So we show up and we go, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, we're, we're excited about what? Yeah we're, yeah, we're singing really excited, you know, because, you know, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. And we're all like, yes. And then everyone who's, who's actually human in here goes, that didn't really mean too much to me. But for those of you this week who in any way, shape, or form allow the Spirit of God to start kind of turning your eyes forward, for any of you this week who went through darkness and went through a valley and you needed him to be with you, then you come in on Sunday and go, yes! And the rest of us go, oh, oh. football starts an hour and a half. So here's what Advent does. So Advent is this time that happens every year where we force ourselves to stir our hunger and our expectation. Thanksgiving has this really cool thing about it that goes with Advent. There's this time in the house, we're all there in the house, and you know, like the, the mashed potatoes are done, the bread's baking, you know, all the smells in the house, but that stupid turkey is always like the last thing, you know, so everyone's like, is the turkey done yet? No, it's not done yet. And the kid's like, is it ready time to eat yet? No, it's not time yet. And the house gets filled with these smells, and so everyone walks to the kitchen, you know, and of course you're able to see all the food that's done, and then you see the food that's not done, and it creates what? Expectation. Hunger. I can't wait until. But see, 
at my grandparents' house, that the place where we always, we always used to have Thanksgiving there, I'd always be in the basement. You know, <laughs> anyways, you know, I'm in the basement watching football, watching a game, whatever. And so I was always the last one to get the smell to me. Okay, and, and so everyone else in the house would be at the table, you know, because everyone knew it was time to eat, and I'm down there in the basement just in my own world. And what happens to us is we get down, you know, locked away in the basement of our lives, in our busyness, in our jobs, in our, in our big problems, in our, you know, stuff. And we get so separated that the smell and the aroma and the picture of what God is doing is so far away from us that people around us can be so hungry and excited, but we are so not. And so with Advent, we force ourselves to sit in the kitchen and smell those smells and to stare at that turkey and go, oh my goodness, I cannot Because here's the thing, when you are awaiting something, when you expect something, you are acting differently than the person who's in the basement, not expecting, not excited about a single thing. The obstacle that we have here in America is not that we're being chased with, with rifles and you know, knives, it's not that we're starving, it's not that we have, you know, demonic spirits chasing us like eagles, you know, it's crazy stuff. You know, that's not what we deal with here. What we deal with is the fact that we have so many other smells and other things to take our attention elsewhere. And so the things that our hearts and our minds burn for and are hungry for is almost everything else but Jesus. So we come in here on Sundays and every one of us has to try our best to even stir just a little bit of hunger. Just a little bit of excitement. And obviously this is not the way it's supposed to be for us. So this morning, I'll do my best to lay out a table, to put that turkey in the oven, and it's your job to step out of the basement, sit in the kitchen, and smell the smells and see the picture. Because when you start to see it, you start to, to almost taste it. You begin to get hungry and your expectation begins to rise. It's amazing how long you can go without food if you stay away from food. But every time that you guys go to the restaurant where they bring out, you know, the hot rolls, uh, Logan's, how about Logan's? Who likes Logan's? Steaks, eh. But everyone goes there, not for the steak. We go there for the what? The rolls. You walk in not hungry. You just ate an hour ago. But the rolls get put right in front of you, and what happens? Ooh, uh, yeah, I'll take one of those. And a steak and, you know, whatever else you got. So here we go. We're going to start Advent. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to start in the book of Romans, uh, the 8th chapter, verse 15. Today, I'll be reading from the Message Bible a lot more than normal. Um, here's what the Message Bible is, Okay. The obstacle with these scriptures for us is that these, <laughs> these scriptures were not written in the language that we understand. Okay, so what happens to us is these, these scriptures were translated from one language to another and then from that language to English. And so it's very difficult for us to get the, you know, the clear understanding of what the scriptures mean. So you have two different types of, of translations of the Bible, okay? 
you have your literal translations, which means what it's going to do is it's going to give you the word for word, you know, exactly the closest word to match that word as possible. So that when it comes out, you have the most similar words as to what was being said. But then you have the other kind, which is where, how do you put that? The other kind of translations, like the Message Bible, what their purpose is, isn't to give you the exact words. It's to help you understand what's being said. Does that make sense to you almost? It's not trying to give you the exact words. It's trying to get you to understand what the words mean. Does that make sense? So the Message Bible, what it does is it takes the meaning of what's being said and, and takes it and puts it in language that you understand. Okay? And so again, the Message Bible is so helpful for us because it helps things that are kind of foreign to us make sense to us. And so um, Eugene Peterson, the man who wrote uh, the Message Bible, just a, a brilliant scholar, and he's going to help us this morning to kind of see th- some things that we normally don't see. So if you guys have your Bible, we are going to read for quite a bit. Stay with me. There is meat in this, okay? This is going to be the, the turkey in the oven. So stay with me. Here we go. Uh, chapter 8, verse 15 in the message. So this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurous, expectant, greeting God with a childlike What's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Let's stop there for a second. Again, the struggle we have is that we don't know these things, okay? You might know these things, but we don't live as if these things are alive to us. You know, here, you know, here in Romans, where he's just talking about, you know, because of the Spirit of God in us, we know what's coming. We know this great inheritance that's coming to us. You know, we can, because the Spirit helps us, you know, to smell the turkey and to, you know, see the stuffing, we know what's coming and we get excited. But has that been you this week? Has that been you two weeks ago, a month ago? Is that you every day? Are you living excited for what's to come? Okay, I'll take that as a no. Me either, okay? Me either, right? But anyways, but you see this. This is where, this is where we're supposed to be, okay? Uh, we go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then certainly then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world, world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Pause there. So he's saying that everything around us knows what's coming and is aware of it and expecting it even more than we are. How frustrating is that? That this very world around us, this world that just seems to be stagnant and stale, this world around us knows what's coming. It's excited. It cannot wait for what's coming. But here we are, the ones who what's coming is for us, and we can't even awaken ourselves to it. It's like this, okay? You never, ever have warm food in your house without your dogs knowing about it. How about that, right? And why? Because your dogs don't have, you know, all these other things to be distracted by, right? You know, your dog doesn't care what's on TV, and if it does, it's a pretty weird dog, okay? You know, but when that dog is able to use the senses God gave it to pick up, there's something good coming. 
The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns in in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Are you seeing this? There's this tension. There's just like, oh my goodness, let us go. Use the dogs again, okay? With my dogs, if I just say outside, the moment I start saying out, my dogs sprint to the door. Please, 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 open the door. Let us go. Everything but us is doing that right now. Please let him come. Let Jesus come. Here we are. Do I got to go to church today? It's raining outside. I'm all full from turkey. I have all these packages from Black Friday to wrap. Do I really got to go to church today? Yet everything around us goes, are you kidding me? Can't you see what's coming? Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. See, that's one thing about waiting. Once you see and smell and begin to expect that thing that that your heart wants, the longer you have to wait, the more it builds. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's pause for a second. What thing in your life do you remember really just, you could not wait to have it? Anything. Come on, say it. What? A horse. A barn. (laughs) Okay, I think we're on the same page here. Okay, a horse and a barn. Okay. Is there anyone else? (laughs) A truck. My first car. I, I mean... My first car was actually for sale on this hill. You would pass this, this hill on the way to my house every day. I had to see this stupid thing three times a day, four times a day. Just had to pass it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Someone else is going to buy it. You know? Oh, my goodness. I wanted that so bad. A horse in a barn. I would never have guessed those are going to be the first. I thought maybe a husband. You know? A spouse or a child. No, I want that horse. I want that truck. I want that bar. I'm just messing you guys. What about your wedding night? Okay, if you guys were not expecting, there's something wrong here, right? Okay, we'll move on. We'll just leave, we'll leave that where it is. Okay. So all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. Okay? Sorry again. Let's pause here again. We're about, I think, I think right now we have about five or six ladies pregnant. Here in about six months, we're going to have a lot of cranky ladies walk around this church. Okay, when a woman gets around eight to, you know, to nine months, they are just like, oh, yes, I want the baby, but get it out of me. I mean, it's like, let's get this thing over. Okay, again, this is everything else around us. It's like, can you please just now, we want this now. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pains. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. 
We are enlarged in the waiting. We, are, we, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, the more joyful our expectancy. Again, I mean, his language is very clear, right? I mean, every one of you should be like a pregnant woman. Every one of you in this place should just be walking around like this. I just can't wait for Jesus. You're not pregnant with Jesus, okay? You're not Mary, all right? But you are pregnant with expectancy and hunger. You cannot wait. And again, this brings us back to our problem, okay? What things right now are you waiting for? What things are you expecting? One of the most common ones I know is the weekend, right? I mean, on a Monday, everyone goes, I got a case of the Mondays. You know, and of course, what's that mean? What that means is I'm looking forward, I'm waiting for the weekend, because the weekend is what I really want. Really? We're waiting for the weekend? Lord have mercy. So meanwhile, the moment that we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. Your yoke is easy. And it's easy because you're not carrying it alone. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making out of our wordless sighs our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is working into something good. Amen. This is where we're supposed to be. This is the, the, oh my goodness, the space, if you would, that we're supposed to live in. Yes, we're in the world. Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have, we have families and obligations, good and bad things of this world. We have all sorts of other things of this world that are part of our lives. But no matter what we're doing or, you know, what is going on around us, we are just burning and hungry and expectant for Jesus pregnant with it all the guys in here are like stop using that analogy I can't I can't take that analogy what's beautiful about that again is you know when you are not pregnant being around someone who is almost makes you feel like you are too you know it's almost have to be have to be careful when Nisa was pregnant, she used to get so mad at me. You know, like when she had a craving, I had a craving. I was like, oh, man, I, I want that too. You know, she, when she was swelling, I was like, oh, man, you know, I hurt for you, baby. You know, she's like, no, you don't. He's like, you have no idea what I'm going through. And so what happens with the body of Christ is, you know, on those weeks and those days where we get consumed with other things, we come around other people who are pregnant with this thing. Whenever we don't feel it, when it's not real to us, when we get so sucked into a problem or, you know, to, you know, hard, hard week at work, we come around other people who are fresh with the expectancy and the hunger. You ever been around someone who's hungry when you're not hungry and they start talking about food and all of a sudden you just start being hungry too? I'm really bad about that. I apologize. I always want food. And so when we come in on Sunday mornings, when, you know, when we go to life group, whenever we, you know, we see each other at the store and we make phone calls, it's supposed to be, oh, you know, I'm having a hard week. I don't feel that hunger. But then you get around someone who is. And this expectancy is always rubbing off on each other. This hunger. 
We're constantly talking about the turkey and, oh, you know how good that tastes and you know how that, what that smells like. You know what it's like when Jesus does this and it just rubs off on everyone around us and we continually stay a hungry, expectant people. So, we're supposed to be a people who are waiting, right? And, you know, one thing about waiting is this, okay? You don't wait for anything you don't believe is going to come. Does that make sense? You know, you only wait for things that you actually believe are going to come or happen. And so, what takes place for Christians is this. When you don't live a life of expectancy for God, there's only one reason. You don't really believe he's coming. Now, it's not saying you're this bad person or you're awful or, you know, you're not saving, that kind of stuff. It means that you are so consumed and distracted by other things that your hunger has died. It's been so long since you smelled the smell from the kitchen, your hunger for it is, is gone. You've, you've been distracted and pulled away to other things. As Christians, we're to be people who are so, so expectant so hungry, so waiting, we're longing for it because we believe it is coming. We believe he is coming. Now, let's go ahead and talk about waiting some more, okay? Understand this, okay? When it comes to waiting, what we expect determines the way that we wait. Does that make sense? What we expect is coming determines the way that we begin to wait for it. So, the first way that we wait, okay? When you are expecting bad things, you act a certain way. Uh, whenever I was in high school, I hated to speak in public. I <laughs> know, funny, right? You guys are like, whoa, what? I did. Terrified me. I hated to, to give speeches, to give reports. It was the worst thing ever. So we had this class in high school, and we always had to do these speeches and all this kind of stuff. And so the moment that my date would get scheduled, okay, so in 10 days I have to give a speech and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was like a final countdown to death. I mean, I thought about it all the time. I mean, no one else has anything like that? Okay. You got scheduled for a root canal where you're just like, yes! <laughs> Give me the drill! You know what I mean? Like, no, okay, it's a bad thing, okay? So you're expecting something bad to happen, so you begin to wait for a different way. Make sense? Come on, surely it makes sense to somebody. Okay, when you expect bad things, okay? You ever get called into court before? Ever see the blue lights behind you? There you go. Okay, there we go. Okay. We got a bunch of, you know, got a bunch of felons in here this morning. Okay. When you see the blue lights, there's a bad expectancy. Oh, because you know something bad is going to come, right? Okay, there we go. Thank goodness gracious. Okay, so when we are expecting bad things, it's called anxiety. We are anxious. Okay, so we are awaiting something that is negative. It's bad. We don't want it. So expecting bad things is called anxiety. It's being burdened by the fear of the bad things that are going to come. Think about that. When you think about the future, when you think about death, when you think about God, when you think about what is coming tomorrow, if you believe or expect bad things are coming tomorrow, the next day, in a month, in a year, no matter what, somehow that bad thing is going to come to you, you live in anxiety. You are constantly buried by the weight of fear. And that's good, by the way. Take notes about that. 
I guess no one here has anxiety. When you believe bad things are around the corner, you live with anxiety. The constant weight of fear. When we expect bad things, we will find any and every distraction that offers temporary peace or enjoyment. When you are constantly fixated on something bad that is coming, you will take anything that will take your mind off of it. Whenever I used to have that speech coming up for me, I would always, I mean, I, I would fill my, my time with things to do. Because the worst thing to do, when you are fearful, when you are dreading something that's going to come, the worst thing to do is spare time. The worst thing to have is a mind that's not busy doing anything else. Whenever I deal with fear, you'll see me, I'll always have something going on. I'm doing something, I'm busy, I have a TV on, I always have something that keeps me distracted. Because if I stop being distracted, that fear is going to set in on me. Now obviously, I'm defining these things so you can define yourself. Is that you this morning? Are you constantly filling your life with busyness or with distractions, with temporary things that will take your mind off of the fear that's really inside of you? Now, not all of us expect bad things. Some of us expect nothing. Expecting nothing causes us to move on. Here's what that means. If I'm waiting for something like... When you're a kid and your parents promised you that thing, that toy, that car, whatever, when you realize that that really wasn't ever going to happen, what happens? You move on. Forget that. How about this one? When you were expecting Santa Claus, right? Come on. You guys had mean parents, huh? You guys had mean parents who told you Santa's not real. Okay, well, you know, if you had nice parents or, you know, crazy parents, whatever, <laughs> your parents are like, hey, you know, Here's milk and cookies. You know, you know, just wait by the tree, you know, for Santa to come, right? The first year, the second year, whatever. However long it took for you, the moment that it clicked in your brain, he's not really coming. What happens? It hurts your feeling. Santa? The moment in your mind or your heart that it clicks and you say, you know what? He's not really coming. You just moved on. Didn't put out the, the milk and cookies anymore, you know. You didn't wait up, you know, trying to catch them coming down the chimney. Okay, and, you know, if you have one of those, if not, I guess you're trying to, you know, catch someone breaking in the window. I don't know what you're doing. The moment that in your mind and your heart you stop expecting God to come, you simply move on to other things. Whenever we have stopped expecting God whenever we have moved on. We will easily find new reasons and things to live for. When we don't expect God, the new things we find to take his place are not merely distractions anymore. These things become idols. Now you're different. The person who's expecting bad things always fills their life with stuff and things to distract them. But when you don't expect anything, when you're not worried about good or bad coming in the corner, when you're just living day by day, you begin to fill your life with things that take God's place. And those things are not just distractions for you. They become idols. When you live for your job, when you live for money, when you live for the weekend, when you live for the football team, when you live for whatever that thing is, 
whenever you're not doing it to distract yourself, when you're not doing it because it's that great thing, when you're doing it because there's nothing else important in your life, those are idols. If you want to test yourself and see if it's an idol or if it's a distraction, a distraction, you will trade in any distraction quickly because what you'll do is you'll trade one in and find another. But idols, you won't let go of that quickly. Come on now, I'm talking to you this morning. If you're distracted by fear, it doesn't matter if it changes. It can be this thing or that thing. You'll drop it in a heartbeat. But an idol is something you won't drop. And here's the point of all that. It's not saying, oh, you're bad because you have an idol. It's saying you are not expecting God at all. It's just a fairy tale to you. At some point in your walk with Jesus, it stopped being what you live for and just became a thing, an idea, something I do. It's just a part of my life. I, I go to church. And so when that clicked in you when, you, when you realized in your mind and heart, you know what, God's not really coming. He's not really going to do anything. It's just kind of a, then you find new things to take its place. And now your job or your, your hobby or the weekend or this or that, that becomes your life. And that is an idol. Now, when we begin to expect good things, expecting good things is called hope. Do you see that? When we expect bad things, that's anxiety. It's fear. But whenever we expect good things, when we believe something good is coming around the corner, this is called hope. And hope is being uplifted and filled with energy to wait until we experience what we hope for. What's funny about someone who has hope is that hope is like a fuel. When you have hope, it just creates energy. It lifts you up. It's the opposite of fear. When, when you're constantly dreading, when you're living in fear, it saps your energy. You're always tired. There's no emotion. You're just, ugh, you're just there. You're just surviving. But hope is different. Hope, it, it jacks you up. It fills you with energy and emotion and thoughts, and you just begin to just get moving. Now Christmas, let's go ahead and use this one. Think back to the day when you were still, you know, young and naive in the best way possible. When Christmas was still magical to you. If, if it wasn't ever, I apologize. Okay. That's sad. Okay. Think back as far as you have to, okay? There was a time, hopefully for you, where Christmas Eve was a magical night. Where almost like the, the month leading up to Christmas, you just could not wait. Parents, what's wrong with our kids on Christmas Eve? They won't sleep. Okay, I guess you don't have kids. I mean, really? Okay, kids are jacked up, right, with expectancy. They are so hopeful about what's going to happen in the morning. So hopeful that they will be waiting for you at 5 a.m. at your door. It's time, it's time, it's time. Can we open presents? So the, the, those of us wise parents have learned to give them some presents on Christmas Eve, right? To hold them over. Let's just, okay, just take a couple presents and be quiet. Okay. Hope fills us with this energy. It's, this, it's, it's, it's power almost. It, it creates the ability to keep us steady as we wait. What's funky about things is when you lose hope, you lose the ability to wait. Um... I read some stories about prisoners and, you know, people who were in prison for a very, 
a very long time. And the ones who made it out, they constantly talked about hope. And they're talking about the most valuable thing for them was to protect their hope, was to not let anything around them, you know, to not let the cell or the inmates or, you know, the conditions around them, to not let anything steal their hope. Because they knew if I lose hope, if, if, I, if it clicks in my heart that I'm never getting out of this place, then I've already died. I will lose my ability to fight this and to wait to experience freedom if I even allow myself to believe that I won't get out of this place. Suicide is the loss of all hope. No one who has hope commits suicide. No one. When you lose hope, you lose the ability to wait. You lose it. What's the point of tomorrow and the next day if there's nothing good coming around the corner? If all of life is just this, what am I even here for? And when they reach that moment and hope is lost, they're already dead. Whenever we are filled with hope, our focus is fixed. And everything is channeled towards this goal so that no distraction or substitute will satisfy. My four-year-old and two-year-old are just a living example of this. It does not matter what thing it is. Once they get their hearts and their minds set on something that they're hoping for, there's no distracting them. What was it the other day? I think it was cake. You know, they just happened to see me slip the cake by them. <laughs> All right, parents, come on. You know, I, you know, I, I had this piece of cake in the in the fridge, and I was kind of hiding it from them. Kind of, you know. <laughs> and I think the two-year-old happened to catch me. He came around the corner, and, and and of course, you know, he sounds the alarm. You know, I want that. I want. I want. I want. You know. And of course, Jude comes on the corner. Dad, what do you have? What is it? And the moment that they realized, the moment they saw that cake, it was over. And I said, hey, do you want gummies? Do you want a movie? Do you want to go outside? You know, you know, you know, no substitute will do. When you fix your eyes on what you're hoping for, no substitute will do. You don't have to worry about living your life with idols because nothing else around you fills that void. People who are fixated on Jesus, I don't have to worry about them having $10 million in their bank account. Because no substitute will do. They don't care about money. They don't care about anything else of this world. Because when you are fixed on Jesus, nothing else will satisfy. And when you believe, when you know there's something good around the corner, you don't need to be distracted. You don't need to keep the TV on all night. You don't need to keep yourself busy. You don't need to keep yourself preoccupied. Because when you know something good is coming for you, you don't want distractions. You push distractions out of the way. Is that you this morning? And I think, you know, when it, when it comes to this kind of expectancy, when it comes to this kind of expectancy for Jesus, I think that we've all been there maybe at one time or another, but the point is, is that most of us aren't there anymore. And we need to get back to it. 
And it's okay to not be there. It's not okay to not admit that you're not there. It's not okay to be content with being anywhere else. If you're in a place where you're living in fear, if you're full of you know, anxiety, admit it. That's okay. But don't be content to stay there. If you have been living a life convinced that there's nothing really great or significant coming around the corner where you are just living for your job or the weekend or, you know, whatever it is, it's okay to admit that, but don't stay there. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. going to read a short little verse here. You know, the question becomes, okay, so what are we expecting then? And it's hard to kind of narrow it down to one single verse to give you guys talk about, you know, everything we're expecting. You know, the, the, you know, the truth is, I should have the Bible and be like, this is what you're expecting, you know. But of course, that's that means what, you know. The truth is, you know, we are expecting Jesus. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around everything God's been doing since the creation of time. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around everything that's in this complex book that we call the Bible. It's hard to wrap our minds around those things. But that's why he gives us something and someone that's easy to wrap our arms around. It's easy to connect our heart to. It's easy to understand. He gives us Jesus. This is what Advent, this is what his first coming shows us. He comes in a way that we can relate to, we can understand, we can touch and feel and see. It's familiar to us. I mean, what in the world is this about? I mean, the fact that the God, the, the person who created everything that we see and know, that he would come in the form of a child, that he would be birthed. <laughs> How do I say this nicely? If you have seen a birth, it's, sure, it's a beautiful thing on paper, Let's be honest. <laughs> Come on now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're all grown-ups here, right? It's not beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about it. When that baby comes out, it is an alien, guys. It's not a human yet. Not till they wash that thing up. That thing is not... Whew. That the God of the universe would humble himself to one of the most vulnerable, disgusting, dirty, dangerous entrances into this world possible. That he would come into this world the same way that we do. I mean, what in the world is that? And so he gives us a hope that we can understand. Isaiah 11, verse 1, again, in the Message Bible, to kind of help us understand some things. A green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots, a budding branch. The life-giving spirit of God will hover over him. The spirit that brings wisdom and understanding. The spirit that gives direction and builds strength. The spirit that instills knowledge in the fear of God. Fear of God. The fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances. He won't decide on the basis of hearsay. He'll judge the needy by what is right. Render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll pull on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. 
stop there for a second. I understand that some of this language, even in the message Bible, some of this, this language seems to miss us a little bit. Everything that you see in this world that is wrong, he's talking about making right. He's just, Isaiah has just outlined every form of wrongful oppression. Everything in this world that Satan uses to keep people down, to chain people, to, to, to separate us, to segregate us, to cause division and hatred. Everything in this world that's not right is what we're just talking about. The coming of Jesus is very simple. It's making all things right. Verse 6, the wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs grow up together, and the lion eats straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over the rattlesnake's dens. The toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. Stop there. Again, everything in this world that brings pain, death, oppression, loss, and suffering, when he comes, will be no more. You know, we see all these pictures in the Bible of Jesus coming back as, as a lion, as this, this warrior with a sword. He's coming back to defeat his enemies, and you better believe he is. He's coming back to vanquish, to kill, to destroy, to remove from this world everything that is not of him. You know, it, it's almost like for me, I feel like... Watching CNN sometimes will do this for me. It's kind of silly, but it's almost like I need to be reminded of how broken this world is. It's very easy for us sometimes to get locked up in our basement. You know, it's the other thing that stirs hunger isn't just smelling and seeing good things. It's tasting bad things. I've never been so thankful for a home-cooked meal until I, you know, until I had to eat blank, 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 eat nothing. Until I had to eat sardines every day. <laughs> Whatever, okay? The point is, what also stirs hunger for the good things is tasting bad things. You know, when you turn on the news and there's a shooting every single day, there's war every single day, there's death and famine and there's children being murdered, being, you know, left parentless every single day in this world. But the longer that we stay you know, with our heads down in our own lives, you know, not really concerned about what's going on around us. The longer that we go without tasting of that bad, again, our hunger for God isn't there. Because when you begin to smell and see all of who he is, it stirs hunger. But also, when you begin to taste and experience everything that's not God, when you begin to taste hatred and death and, and murder in rape, when you begin to taste these things and see them, it makes you go, God, come. It stirs hunger in you for what is right. Verse 9, it says, The whole earth will be brimming with the knowledge, God alive. Brimming, you know, the picture of water. 
you have a pool where the water begins to brim. It begins to rise to this level where it's almost beginning to lap over the edge. The world will be fooled, covered with the knowledge that God is alive. Again, how would you live in full knowledge that God is real, living, knowing that not only God is around the corner, there's not just expecting something good, it's living in something good all day long for the rest of your lives. And on that day, Jesse's root will be raised high, posted as a rallying banner for the peoples. The nations will all come to him. His headquarters will be glorious. And so again, you know, guys, I think for us, what happens sometimes is that the hunger for these things just wanes for us. There's, we find ways to live a life where God isn't needed. We find substitutes, we find distractions, we keep ourselves from seeing anything bad, anything that's not comfortable, we turn away from. We find ways to live a life, hunkered in our basements, if you would, to where we just are fine the way it is. But if you would open your eyes to what the world really is, if you would see the darkness and the death and the pain, or if you would even open your eyes to who Jesus really is, you couldn't help but have your hunger begin to overtake you. So here we are with the candles. Four weeks of Advent. So we got the four, the four candles. And what we do with these candles, in a very simple symbolism, if you would, it's a picture of us awaiting the light that's going to invade the darkness. It's the way that we begin to build our hope as we light each candle that leads to the light of Christ. To where on Christmas Day, we light that white candle, and it's a symbol of the light that's going to pierce darkness. It's a symbol of this king and this rain that's going to come. It's going to sweep the earth. It's going to cover the world like an ocean with the knowledge of God and make all things right. All things right. And when you look at your life, what things are in your life, where have you tasted darkness? Where have you tasted loss? or pain, what loved one have you lost, what opportunity did you miss out on, what thing was taken from you, your innocence, your joy, a child, a mother, a father, a brother, where did you experience violence or hatred or pain, were you physically or emotionally hurt, when he comes, all things will not only be made right, they'll be restored. You have to understand, this is a very literal, real hope that we have. Not just that things are going to be made right from here on out. It's that everything that was wrong from here all the way back to the beginning of time will be made right also. There's this hope that everything that was lost in Jesus can be found. It's a beautiful hope that we have. But the question this morning is not of how beautiful the hope is that we have. The question is, do we really hope for it? Do we really believe this is what's around the corner? We talk every week about living for eternity, living for the kingdom of heaven. Not just living for this life, but looking around the corner, what is coming? And if we could just get a glimpse of what Jesus is going to do, if we could just start smelling the aroma coming from the kitchen of God, you would live differently 
Ushers, you guys can go ahead and bring it up. So that brings us to how we're going to end this service. So that brings us to a way that God gave us to stir the hunger. It's called communion. So what God gives us, he gives us all these little things to keep the smell going, to keep the aroma. First of all, he gives us each other, right? Everyone goes, yeah, I'm glad that you guys make me excited for Jesus, right? Oh, come on. He gives us each other. He gives us his word. And his word is this picture that we constantly get to look at the turkey of bacon in the oven. He gives us sacraments, which is, you know, places to meet with God. He gives us baptism. He gives us communion. And communion becomes this thing that we do constantly. And the whole point of communion is to remind ourselves what we are living in and what we are living for. You guys, stand with me.